Welcome everybody to the Diecast Movie Podcast. For this episode, we have a special interview brought to you by my dad. Take it away, Dad. Hello, everybody. On this episode, I'm going to be interviewing Whitney Cagazzo, who's a makeup artist and um, also co-host of That Decade of Horrors, The Classic Air. She was also on our last episode of Hammerama, which was episode 117, talking about the makeup and Curse of the Frankenstein. And she's going to be infrequently joining Alistair and I in the Hammerama show to talk about the makeup in the Frankenstein movies and an episode or two maybe down the road, including the next episode of Hammerama. So if you want to hear more about Whitney, you're going to hear it in the interview. And then if you want to have more of her input in the different movies that we're talking about, that'll be popping up in the Hammerama episodes. And also please give a listen to Decades of Heart, a classic era. It's a really good podcast. I highly recommend it for those of you that like the horror movies from 1969 or and earlier. All right. Otherwise, on to the interview. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of the Diecast Movie Podcast. And today I'm joined by a freelance artist, illustrator, makeup FX artist, also one of the co-hosts of Decades of Horror, the classic era, Whitney Modista Coyazzo. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Um, we were talking earlier, and, and I finally got power back after almost a week without power because of a storm. So it is nice to have electricity and flushing toilets. Yes, yes. Power is definitely important when it comes to having water and all the basic necessities, especially for communication like we're doing now. <laughs> yes, for listeners wondering, we're, we're doing this interview via Zoom. And um, so it's, it's you're very nice. That, and we're also doing this in um, July. So depending on when this episode comes out, if you're wondering, we're doing it in the middle of July. But you've done a lot of fascinating things in the horror field, but I want to talk about what led you to growing up to get drawn into the art, you know, the artistry, the illustrating. When did you realize that creative side of you? Was it really young or was it older in life? And, and then what drew you to the horror elements? Oh, my goodness. I feel like my family is responsible for a lot of it, um, I had, uh, so my father on his side of the family coming from Mexico, the, the culture of embracing death stems from the indigenous backgrounds of Dia de los Muertos, but it's not horror. That's not horror specifically, but then like when it comes to art forms, um, just knowing that there's that transition in, in life and death. Some people believe in that and knowing that there's that home in culture is there. So when you want to kind of express that a little bit, it's there, you know, it's in your home. But when it comes to like film and art, my parents were really adamant about getting me into the painting, drawing and so when it comes to the horror aspect, for sure, there's so many little things because like my father, my mother, they watch uh, television series like uh, the Munsters. My, I had an uncle that loved Godzilla and 80s horror. And, and so it just I was kind of exposed to a lot of different things when it comes to pop culture um, in general. So I, I think just having family that, uh, had embraced culture and pop culture was open for me creatively. I remember watching the monsters and reruns growing up also. And 
I grew up on Godzilla films on the, the monster movie mm-hmm. matinee. So it's, uh, I feel, I feel even though we're generations, even though we're decades apart, we kind of kind of the same upbringing with relatives and the TV with, with certain shows. Yeah, I see that. <laughs> and, and also it would explain your interest in doing a lot of the classic era, going into the older horror films, which are pre-1970, you know, so you get to expose to a lot of those, which I know from listening to your podcast, a lot of those movies, it's your first time seeing them. It seems like it's like you're, it's like you're like the novice coming in with that fresh, that fresh point of view. Definitely, because when I was asked to come on this podcast, you know, I was already interested in some of the classics because of um, looking at things from uh, a creative point of view, hearing about the history of Jack Pierce and um, the Winston family. Uh, I mean, I love learning. And I just thought, okay, this is a great educational tool for me. I mean, as much as I have experienced makeup and uh, working on set through other makeup artists and uh, learning and interning and just having that experience, I thought, okay, so I I want to know the deeper core of this. You know, I want to educate myself and I want people to educate me in the process. And the classic era has been a great way for me as someone who is younger in the audience to just see what's out there, all these films, there's so much to discover. And that's why one of the things what we have our episodes or interviews, the other half, we do movie discussions where we talk about different mm-hmm. movies. And I'm always pretty much at the one person's doing the movies the most or doing the movie discussions the most. I'm the one that's the most leery of ever spoiling the movie's ending or spoiling the movie too much because I always, even though people say it's 80 years old or it's 70 years old, but there's people like yourself and my children who are around your age, I'm sure. And uh, that are seeing it for the first time and you know, and you don't want to spoil it for them and, and that kind of stuff. And it could be people my age, there's movies that are plenty old that I have never seen. And it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, you never know who your audience is going to be like, Oh, I like that movie. They discussed it. Let's go watch that movie. And there's movies that you guys have talked about that I've seen and I'm right there with, and there's movies that I've never seen. And most of those are the ones you pick because a lot of times you'll pick ones that are influenced from your father. Yes, that's very true because, um, again, he's someone that has, uh, watched films from Mexico, uh, from his culture, like, I mean, a lot of people in horror have really embraced Luchador, like wrestling, like El Santo and uh, the Blue Demon and all of that. And I, I love when I hear people are just so interested. And my dad loves that, too. So he'll give me a recommendation of um, a story, even if he's not familiar with the title. He remembers the plot and who the actors that are in it. And we'll look it up together. And he says, maybe other people will like this if they like uh movies from here from the um classic era <laughs> and, and and for our market like the general in the united states market you know a lot of people are still learning about a lot of this as you said coming out and um you know the santo movies the blue demon movies as you mm-hmm. brought up but also la llorona you know and um and people yeah. think of the current version but there was versions prior to that that are so much better <laughs> in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And breaking away from like stepping away from um, the subject of classic, the classic era, when it comes to better light on a film, if people enjoy drama, 
one that I really enjoy is on, I think it's on Shutter right now, is uh, by Yaro Bustamante. And that is um, more about the land and water defense of um, the indigenous culture and how one character has influenced and made an impact on um, the political atmosphere of those people. And then La Llorona is really, she's, she's just someone who's wanting um, that water and land back for her people. And people see, people don't understand the horror behind what her people are going through unless you take interest in wanting to know that. But that, that's a powerful horror drama, in my opinion. Um, what's, and that's still current. And that's still, that's still going on today. But um, as far as classics, yes, there's, there's so much to the story. There's so much to the story of a character like her. And so, I don't know. I could ramble about her a little bit, but if people really want to understand that there's layers to that character, it, it stems so much in Mexico, South America, um, with indigenous culture. Oh, I agree. And, and just like, so you have an idea, our podcast, that we do, we talk about all types of movies, so all the genres. Mm-hmm. So, every, so anything you, any genre you want to bring up, it's fully available. I know your your podcast specializes in one niche. You know, you know, I say niche because it's the horror genre, but it's a niche where it has to be mm-hmm. prior to nineteen seventy. You know, yes. So it so it has that finite thing where you can say, oh, there's only so many movies. Yeah, there's only so many movies. It'll probably take you guys. I don't know, 80 years at, at the minimal, if you did one a week to come even close to covering all those movies. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. And by then, you know, it, it'll be going, you know, you're probably the only one left, you know, you, you'll be like, yeah, I'm going to talk about that old movie. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I love when someone introduces, like I said, um, different movies from whether if it's from the twenties to um, current, I'll, I'll give it a try. I'll, I'll watch it. If someone wants me to, um, take a look at something, I'll be happy to watch it for the first time. And when it comes to watching things, sometimes it's good to go back and revisit it because your, your opinion just might change because sometimes, especially when it comes to classic era, I'll watch something like we just watched, um, the crawling eye and we did the review of that. And I feel like there's some there's some more um, to that film that I should be checking out when it comes to the the acting, the people that are in it, and but what really grasped me was special effects, seeing how the eye was um, looking in some of the scenes, and knowing that even when certain scenes in some of these films of special effects they don't last long, but it's enough to give you that. Oh, wow. That was, that was crazy. That was strange. But, um, it's nice to revisit some of these things just to go back and see the power of, um, connection and chemistry between people. I'm a type where I see a horror film or makeup in general in any film. And I know there's some people, especially in the horror films, is like, oh, I wish we would have saw the monster more. And I'm thinking, mm. I'm always, if I leave the film thinking I wanted more, then that's what the film, in my opinion, the filmmaker did their job. Because you always want to feel like there's more. You don't want to feel like you've had too much. And sometimes I think right. some monster movies will over-feature the creature 
I'm not even gonna try to say that again over, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but, you know, and then, it, and, it, and sometimes it can show the flaws in the makeup because now it's being shown maybe in a light that was never anticipated to be seen in like daytime versus nighttime or the camera angles. And, and, and you've probably seen that in some films too, you know, you, with your eye, like you've seen some with the makeups and you're like, Oh, if only they would have kept it like in this camera or this lighting, it would have been so awesome. But instead they showed it in the, in the full light of day or vice versa. I'm sure. Yeah. And that's something that I have learned looking at stuff that's relevant with what's in the past. And I'm not going to bash what's relevant because everyone experiments and has their own style and taste. But from what I noticed, the special effects, the certain things that have come up, you mentioned like, uh, La Llorona, um, and, uh, the, the franchise that's been built up by Blumhouse. If you notice, like their stuff is so, so dark with cinema, with the cinematography. And, um, you, I feel like it hides too much of the, the special effects, but that's just me. Some people love the darkness, but when I go back and I'm, I'm kind of, we're, we're traveling back in time when we're visiting, um, whether if it's horror or hammer and the, the lighting is what complements the effects. Like whether if we're looking at Boris Karloff, the way things have ex- been exaggerated in his face, or when it's looking at, um, Lion Cheney Jr. with, you know, his Bob Ross looking hair is the, the um, werewolf. I mean, there's it, just so much to see as to how far we've come and looking at all of these characters and traits and, and in Hammer films, I, just just how bright the blood is in, in some of this stuff. It's, it's beautiful. I, I just love how different things have had stylized and each of these films. I'm going to ask you a question though, about that a little bit. When you're working on your makeup effect, Mm -hmm. or do you talk with the cinematographer prior to it at all? Like, do you get an idea like how they're going to set up the lighting and everything that didn't, I mean, you might not have when you were first starting out, but is that something you do now? Do you talk to them at all or or the director to get an idea of how it's going to be set up to help? Or is it just, or are you just relying on luck a little bit? Cause I'm just saying sometimes, like I said, it could be that you, you have a great piece of artwork there and it's just not lit. Like when you go into a museum, if it's lit the right way, it's mm-hmm. set up the right way, it can show it off or it can not, or it can um, not, it could be flattering or unflattering. So I didn't know if you work mm-hmm. together with the cinematographer director to make sure that it gets the, because if your work is flattering, it makes their work look even better. Right. Well, um, when it comes to, of the work that I have done with makeup effects and working on set of films, usually it's been with the director and with what the director, what he or she would want in their vision. And they would ask me um, about, they, they would tell me what they're looking for. And we would talk about the imagery, what they're trying to portray. And I'll try to um, work with, you know, the kits, the stuff that I have and then, Sometimes I'll do a, a makeup test on something or someone and then show them images before filming even begins to say, okay, this is, this is what I have. This is what it looks like. Is this, is this what you want? And they'll say yes. Otherwise, if it's like something that's kind of 
for the moment and they say, Hey, we need this makeup artist. We, we wanted to ask you if you could step in. And then, yeah, usually the director has given their vision to me. And then later the cinematographer will, will do their magic. And sometimes I'll see that in post. <laughs> Cause that's an interesting thing with um, practical effects or practical makeup. Mm-hmm is in, in a lot of the films that you're working on, people say, oh, they can fix CGI or this and that. Well, not every film has these huge budgets and and that kind of stuff. So it's what, you know, what they film is usually what will end up on the final part. There might be a little bit of tweaking they can do, but, it, you know, especially now it's the digital age. There's a little more they can do yes. the film age. That's true because um, in post-production, when it comes to digital, there's been a lot of um, things with, special effects makeup and digital has complemented each other. I have not experienced that so much with the work that I have done, but seeing that in other people's work is, is still really fascinating to me um, and how things are just constantly moving forward with that kind of art form. So what drew you to wanting to do makeup on real people because you would start off you had that thing you were drawing you were doing artwork you know and then suddenly yeah. you decided you know um paper or or you know paper and pens don't work or paper and paint don't work i want i want to use the art the the canvas of the human body <laughs> yeah so it was an interesting uh way how that came about so i had um my my uncle my mom's brother he worked at a haunt um, here in North Carolina, um, it's uh, it's still around. It's called uh, the Original Hollywood Horror Show, and they had there's some filmmakers that are run by makeup artist filmmakers, uh, Jones Brothers, Gene uh, and Star Jones. They run they run that place. They've been doing that for almost over thirty years, and so my uncle used to be part of that haunt, and he said, you know, with your artwork, you could bring some of your art and um, figure out like a, a spot to put you in whether if you want to do some kind of background art some set design or, or something let's see if, you, if you're if you interested in the haunt industry and so I was a little shy but I showed them my artwork and so I, I was exposed to that a little bit more that atmosphere more and so doing just getting kind of thrown to that atmosphere was was definitely educational. Learning more when you want to learn makeup, that's definitely a hands-on approach, and your foot in sometimes can be through the haunt industry. And that that was a big step for me. I wasn't really sure, like, oh, I wanna, I wanted to do makeup, yes, but I was. I was shy. I, I wanted to experience creativity in general. Especially when you're working on a, a canvas that can talk back. So it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, there was so much that I wanted to learn. I mean, I thought, okay, so socially this is good for me. Not only that, but, uh, as someone that was shy in the beginning, but also someone who, you know, I'm, I'm like a sponge as, as someone who keeps growing and who wants to keep morphing their artistic, abilities that it was a really cool place and i'll be thankful for i'm forever thankful for my uncle for um pulling me in and introducing me to other creatives and uh it was a great networking tool and 
So it, it took me um, not only learning at in a haunt um, world, but that took me to learning on set. Um, and that place there at that haunt was basically a film set too. Like there were projects that would come and go specifically to that location. And then eventually I ended up going and doing other things. Um, so it was, it was definitely an experience because I went from doing the haunt world to, uh, working on, um, some of the titles escape my mind, but if if anyone's interested in looking me up, you could probably find that I have done um, some stuff on a couple of feature films. Like I did beard work for an Amish-based film. I've done um, some makeup for uh, a independent film called Dark Awakening. We've, and then I've done a lot of shorts. Um, I even wrote and directed one of my own uh, of um, German cryptids of uh, Krampus. <laughs> so that was, so, you know, it just kind of comes with a lot of creative intent. Like, what is it that you really want to do with, if you want to be creative, then, then, then do your art. And so even, even now I, um, I decided to take, my art and makeup and create a YouTube channel where I talk about folklore or scary stories and then talk about an awareness to bring today with moral of the story of what's related to that. And then if anyone's interested, by all means, check it out. <laughs> it's, um, la, it's, uh, la hechicera del horror, which is, um, translated is the sorceress of horror with crafting lore <laughs> so but um no i i just feel like it's important just to kind of if you want to do your art do it <laughs> find find somewhere that's comfortable for you whether whether it's painting or um, makeup writing and i've done and i do a lot of um other things too like i'm i'm doing a, a board game based out in the United Kingdom right now, I'm doing, again, folklore scripted creatures for this board game. And uh, they're UK-based creatures. And, and again, if someone wants to revisit my YouTube channel, I did a video on something like that recently on the folklore of Vinny Green, too. <laughs> the one movie you are trying to remember was The Shunning, the one with the army. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for that. You know, and that kind of thing. But, you, I mean, you, like you said, you were involved in some features like Dark Awakening, but you're also involved in Toolbox Murders, too. You know, it's funny because sometimes I'll forget, you know, some of the stuff that I I did so briefly. And I came on much later. It was more like a, a day player kind of thing on pickup shots. And um, it's just when you're a day player, when you do something so quick for a day, it's amazing as to how much things just go fast and so quick and how fast you have to work. Even if it's on something so simple, well, what's so simple to me is blood work. <laughs> it might be simple to you maybe, but I think for <laughs> most of us, um, you know, the blood work is like the old catch up and that's, you know, you, and you work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. It's funny. Like, and because 
again, looking at blood work, there is a complexity for that because everyone, every artist is different on how they want to make their blood. Like whether if it's uh, like a certain type of gelatin and mixing stuff together or, um, oh gosh, it, everyone is just so different with how they want to mix uh, and make their mediums. So, so to speak. And yeah, everyone has their own style and, and, and then when you, when you start honing that ability, it, you get used to it and you're like, ah, it's simple. And other people, like you say, like, well, it looks like it because you're used to it. <laughs> so, yeah. So I have to take a step back sometimes on that. <laughs> now, do you, when you do your blood effects, do you try to, do you have like multiple versions? Like if it's fresh a little later on, like, like you know, so, and it gets, so it gets, so you work that into your thing. Do you work that in with your blood? Yeah, there's a few different things. There's, um, it just depends on the look. Yes, if someone, if so the director or the story, you know, when they require something to look more fresh, yes, if you can make it, like if it's a fresh, like wound of some sort, if you need to make it more liquidy, yes. And then there's gels, type of gel bloods. Or if you want something to look more old, there's um, alcohol-based makeups that just kind of look more stained. And there's just, it's just depend it just depends on the shot. It depends on the character and the situation in the scene. So I guess in that case, it's very important to pay attention to the script. So you, if they're, especially if they're shooting out of order. So, you know, okay. Uh, when we're doing your makeup now, we got to make it. So you're, this is supposed to be like later in the day after you got the wound. And, and then the next day you're like, no, now it's fresh. So we have to. Yeah. And, and it's funny because, you know, looking at as to, um, older films watching classic era and learning a lot from that i'm definitely noticing how especially in foreign films i was um i've been surprised by especially in hammer like just just loving how rich the color is the red it's just wow i i just love it it's beautiful it's crazy and and then seeing how it was different in certain films here like if someone has been stabbed or something depending or, or hurt in some other form, there's not much work done. Like, Oh, this person was injured. They were shot or stabbed and, or something. And you would think there'd be more blood or something. It's, you know, it's funny to see how the reaction is to that action and how things have moved along since then. That is funny because it, you know, back in the old days with the Westerns where people used to get shot all the time, they just fall over and there's no blood whatsoever, you know, yes. or, or it's the little bit of red. And when they lift open yeah. the jacket, <laughs> oh yeah. And then I'm thinking, cause I'm a first aid instructor and I'm like, right. oh, so I've, I mean, I've had to deal with things where people have had to get multiple, like 32 stitches, other stuff. And, and that was just on me. That's why I know how many stitches it was. And you know, so you, you realize like the blood and how it just starts soaking in. And then you're watching it and you're like, mm -hmm. how could the clothes not have really any blood? You know, this is not accurate. Like if somebody just opens up your jacket, then you see the shirt filled with blood. It would already be showing in his pants. It'd be showing through that part of the jacket eventually. You would, and, and which I'm sure is what you take into account. How fresh is it? If it's fresh, it's going to be just the first layer of clothing. But then you've got these other layers. Or is that more wardrobe? Or do you get involved with the clothes? Yes, definitely. And I'm glad that you mentioned what you do because my uncle that worked at the haunt that, that he used to do, he's also someone who works as a 
EMS, EMT, he's a fireman. And, and I appreciate him so much because um, people from these fields, they have so much to talk about when it comes to trauma injuries and describing them, whether if they're telling you about these wounds that, that need to be utilized on screen or, or for some kind of demonstration purpose. And even showing images, even though sometimes they're a little disturbing, um, it's, it's come so far along to know how to assimilate these in injuries and how to place them. It's just, I, I have so much appreciation for people like you who, who know what things look like to help describe them to artists to bring them to life. Oh, I, obviously, I'm, I'm not an EMT, so his, his experiences are much oh, more yeah. greater, but... My, I also have training in wilderness remote first aid and it, and, gotcha. and I've, I've had to deal with like venomous snake bites and um, those kinds right. of things. And the funniest thing is, is like you see, you'll see in the movies where it's like this huge, like two punctures. And I just remember one of the guys that got bit by a, a copperhead. We had to use a magnifying glass to see the puncture wounds. You know, it, it was just because he said he walked on a like a stick hit him or whatever, and I'm and just like the way he was reacting didn't match. So we looked and we could see the two puncture spots. So sometimes it is like very very hard to see. And, and and those, but but later on, when we got him to the hospital, and I was there waiting for his mom to show up. It was a, it was at a I was helping out at a camp. He had um. Well, the swelling was increasing and the discoloration. And by the time his mom got there, he was like discolored up to his knee. So I, you could see the progression. So when it was within that first 10, 20 minutes, you wouldn't really see anything. And then again, hours later, it was like, holy mackerel. <laughs> wow. That's intense. Gosh, thanks for sharing that. Yeah, and which you can have, an, uh, I guess, in a movie, somebody gets bit and then, you know, he's like, oh, they didn't get bit. And then later on, they'll start to show up and they still might, and it still wouldn't look like it was a, a snake bite. It would, at least of copperheads, every snake is different. And, and I, I know some people live in Australia and they got snakes that'll kill you right off the bat and you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> Figuring out where it would right. already. Yeesh. Yeah. That's, that's scary stuff. <laughs> you talked about Russ von Krampus. Cause you, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I saw, I saw and yes, it's on YouTube, listeners. So you can go and watch it. It, it's 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 short and it's breezy. It's it's like sixty seconds. I mean, mm -hmm. it is, it is there. But you did the makeup effects. You were the producer. You were also the writer. And yeah, there's a video of you where there, there's somebody's interviewing you. Where and while they're doing that, you can see they can see you putting the makeup on, the actor. So I think it, it really yeah. kind of ties everything. So it's, I find it kind of funny is that the interview, like the, um, is longer than the movie itself, but it's just, it's, that's just the way effects are. The work that you put in the effect and then the effect is there for like seconds on the screen. Right. You know, it was funny because of, it, it was a friend, um, and filmmaking acquaintance that, you know, they asked me about, about Hey, let's, let's, um, let's talk about you and your art a little bit. And I said, Hey, you know, we've been wanting to, let, we want to collaborate on something. Let's let's expand on this character a little bit. I mean, it's almost Christmas time. We have access to certain things. You know, let's let's make something of this. So we we had some fun. We brought some friends um, that we've worked with in uh, makeup and film before, and we just had fun with the project. 
And then um, at the time, I had people talk to me about, well, you know, there's like some short film contests and uh, there were certain things to uh, put into, uh, what, what is, I, the words escape me right now. I can't, I'm, where, where people can have their films like viewed by other Festivals. people. Festival, yes, I'm sorry. I know these things. I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about it shortly, but I have this thing called brain fog from time to time, having fibromyalgia. And sometimes, like, my, my mind um, kind of slows down a little bit from dealing with a, an illness. And so far, um, I feel like a good, I, I'm good at handling that, but it messes with my words a little bit. So... Um, but before I jump into that, yes, film festivals. So we, we've um, put Grisham Compass in a few film festivals, and it was just a fun experience. And that is a project, I mean, I want to see like a, a nice 20-minute-ish short to expand that universe more because the father's reaction at the end of it <laughs> um Leaves like there's there's got to be some backstory of what is going on. I don't want to spoil it for people, you know, because it is it's a minute, but it's just, but his reaction there is like, I want more. So you did right. your job. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for that. Yes, it was it was just cool because you know thinking about how how to put a creature somewhere. And what is it that people that are afraid of in any given time is losing their child. And especially during holiday season, you know, there's so much more hustle and bustle. People are, are so focused on holidays and stress. That's the stress, the core of everything. And then there's this little girl I, I, I wrote, like she wants to go outside and play at her family tree farm. And so her father, he says she can't, um, she's grounded or she goes. And so he, she, she ends up coming and to, um, crossing paths with this uh, stranger, which is Krampus. Uh, and so, yeah, when she kind of meets her, I guess, her strange and magical demise, like the, the father is, well, what is this? And you can just see it, like, who's this? Where's my daughter? And that kind of thing. It's, I, I love fantasy. I love horror. And that was just such a blast just to, the two together well the way i looked at it it's, it's, since we kind of spoiled it up for everybody i don't i feel good i feel safe now <laughs> <laughs> yeah i spoiled it <laughs> at least i wasn't the one who produced and wrote it so it's like but you know it, but again it's still <laughs> worth watching you know even though we spoiled it, it is when his reaction at the end it's almost like because he was going to charge like what are you doing and because the daughter is getting put into the sack like he, she's half in the sack and then he stops and it's like I, the way I interpret it is he knows who this creature is. And and it's just like, it, it's almost like he's entranced or maybe had a past experience or past mm -hmm. knowledge of, of Krampus. And that, that, that's, that's all interplaying right there with his reaction, whatever. He got, he got a lot of crossed, you know, with that, that, that hesitation the actor did. Yeah, I that's a, a buddy of ours, uh, Sammy Castle. He and he's he's also a supporter and listener of Decade Before the Classic Era. He's always been someone that would wear many hats and, and film um, in the North Carolina film community. And so 
I, I was just honored and happy to have someone that understood, um, as, uh, someone who, who is a family man, who, who could take on that role and someone who, who was passionate about, um, filmmaking in general. And it was just a blast and, and seeing that passion form. That was, it was cool to see. Well, it's, it, it's worthwhile. And when you talk about festivals, <laughs> excuse me, I like to go to the Annapolis Film Festival. And listeners that listen to past episodes know it, um, Annapolis is in Maryland, so it's not far from where I live. And Ooh. what I love about the film festivals is you go there and, and, you, and you go for the shorts and you got the features. And, but when you go to the shorts, they'll have, depending, you know, like four to seven, depending on the link for the shorts. And they try to usually group them, group them by some kind of theme. Sometimes it's a very loose theme grouping. Sometimes it's a very tight one because they're trying to get them in there. And you really have no idea. I mean, you, you, if you read the program, you get like a one sentence, maybe a two sentence thing of what to expect. But you just go and then you're really able to see some young filmmakers and people at work and you get to see that up there. And, and you can see people, you can like, this person's really got talent. You hope they are able to be appreciated more. But the sad part is, a lot of films that go to festivals, they're very hard to find. Like, and not all the filmmakers put them on YouTube, and and sometimes you, you just can't find them. Right. Yes, that's something that's that's a very true statement because there has there has been a moment in time when I helped, um, and I was part of a film festival myself called the Wreak Havoc um, Horror Film Festival here in North Carolina in Greensboro, and. Um, I'll definitely say there have been a lot of films that I've watched that we have showcased a few, especially some foreign ones. And I thought how, you know, the, the access that they have overseas is uh, different. And then how it's come to the film festival circuit here. It just depends on the audience and how they react and how they take to them. So yeah, I definitely agree with that. But I noticed when I was looking up a lot of your work, a lot of it, I was like, I can't find a way to watch it. I'm like trying to track it down. It, I almost felt like I was at uh, like Indiana Jones looking for the lost dog. Oh. It's like, and I'd find one. I'd be like, there it is. I got one. <laughs> so it is, it is, gotcha. but a lot of people that have worked on short features, it's the same way. And, and it's, 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 and I know a lot of people are not that way when they go looking for things. They're not as determined. I'm, I'm kind of a crazy person where I'm determined, like I'm going to find it, but, why I also do a podcast about movies and interview people. I'm I'm a little more weird that way. <laughs> it's it's not weird. You you just have a passion for it and you're willing to um do the research and, and that's the thing that some people aren't so sure on how they want to approach that research or, or getting that information. But there was some fruit from this research and some of it was only in stills, but you mm -hmm. brought up the the wreak havoc horror film festival you did one of the commercials i think it was commercial number two you did the cinema demon yes yes we did work on um some commercials for that film festival uh we did come up with the concept of having um an entity you know holding on to this place this show this you know the whole film festival and so yeah um i had a a makeup artist co-creator we, we talked about it we talked with those who wanted to be involved and how 
how did we want to form this entity? And it's, well, it could be a demon. So we played with it. We wanted it to look fun. We wanted it to look creepy. It was just, those were some really good times. I, I loved, I loved having those talks on how to uh, form, form that thing. Because I remember doing some sketches, some concept art for that first. And then that's how things kind of started with, uh, with that conversation with having those, uh, concept sketches and I'm seeing them in my head now like man it took it was a sketch it started out a sketch and now people are looking at it on the screen <laughs> and I'm not able to see it on the screen but I'm able to see the find it the finished product on that one still and it's a great still and if, if I was to add if you could somehow put the concept sketches with the still so people can see maybe what was in the, the conceptual stage and then the final product I think that would for me personally it would be cool to see that um oh sure the, the journey yeah i'll have to dig through because there's so much there's so much artwork that i need to revisit just to kind of compare like what is it looking like now you know especially when i have family that have come up to me and they say hey you did this for me when you were six for when you were four i'm like oh wow um you still have that <laughs> uh that's 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 a that's a doodle that's that's wow i've I appreciate that. <laughs> well, I think it's like when I listen to past podcasts that I've done or have been on, I'm always like, oh, I said that, I did that. You know, you're always thinking you can get better. So when you, anytime you look at your past yeah. work, and I can only imagine if I was listening to stuff that I did when I was four or six, what I'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah. I thought that was so good. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny because, you know, I I have family that, you know, they, they're they so sentimental with the things that they hold on to. You know, like if even if you made them a birthday card, you you etched a little kitten or something in it. They've held on to that. Like I was like five years old, and you still have that. That means a lot to me. But I'm looking at that, and I'm like, wow, my that's not that's not what I do anymore. I don't draw kittens anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I I've gone on to like creatures, and, and my artwork is just so vast now. <laughs> I guess you'd draw a, de- a demonic kitten if you were to draw one now. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> <laughs> which, which some people would say cats are if you get, if you cross them. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's true. <laughs> but but speaking about your makeup, also you did this great hand makeup for Dead um, Dark Awakening. You know where um, oh. I, I, mean, I love the pictures of it because you're able to get that nice close in and. and Unlike in a movie where you see it, you blink, you miss it, or you see it for just a second or two, when you got the still, and of course, the good part about watching things, if you're watching it on streaming, you can freeze it so you can actually enjoy the work that went into it. And I'm, I know I'm not the only person who probably does that. I'm sure there's lots of movie lovers that do, but it is nice. Mm-hmm. You, you did. Can you talk about like what was your ideas of going into, if you have any remembrance about doing the hand makeup? What, what was your Yeah. Okay. Maybe maybe it's interesting to say that looking at the details of um, just monster hands in general, and then when I have enjoyed things like um, whether if it's looking at uh, the simplicity in like uh, how do I say it? There's a simplicity in looking at certain hands in. Um, that have the texture to it and I can't think of the name of the movie but I remember talking about this movie with uh, Alistair 
actually. It was a, it's a Hammer film. Oh, the, the werewolf film. Oh, oh, <laughs> I can't Kurt, think Kurt of the werewolf. Yes. So it's, when it comes to it's like simple because looking, it's the only werewolf film that Hammer did. <laughs> right. I'm like, it's, it's the only one, but I can't think of the name. Yes. Chris, the werewolf. When I looked at like the simplicity of, you know, well, it's not simple to everyone, but when it comes to looking at the layers and the color and the texture of, you know, what's going on in his hands and his hair and the coloration and the stippling in his face, when I look at the stipples, skin tones, when you have your own skin tone, you have to look at your complexion. You say, like, it's not just one skin tone. You have layers on your complexion. So just, just a simple knowing of, okay, we have layers to our pigmentation, just that simplicity. But then seeing that go to film when it comes to something like Curse of the Werewolf and then things being drawn onto that. So then also looking at things and then morphing that from like zombie films. Um, just knowing that pigments aren't, it's, it's just not one color. You have to play around with pigments and get like three layers of colors in one. So. That's just in my, like, teaching and from what I've learned is that when you have to understand that complex, there's a complex with complexion. Yeah, which, uh, which I think is shows in that. It also shows in that same movie with your burn makeup that you mm-hmm. did where you're able to um, do it. I think your uncle probably helped you a lot with this, with his background. Yes, yes. He was very helpful. Uh, when it comes to understanding what it looks like with burn makeup. So, and that was, uh, that burn makeup, I didn't do by myself. I had some help with that. But, man, you know, just just knowing that, again, there's layers to trauma, especially with um, uh, physical, uh, you have to understand, you, you may have to see visuals of that before you get to work second third degree burns and all of that so you have to um figure out how how you want to wear these colors so so taking a look at imagery really helps yeah because a lot of people have this misconception of what burns are supposed to look like and it also depends whether it's called is it caused by heat is it caused by chemical is it caused by electricity Mm -hmm. there's so radiation there's so many different factors that'll lead to what the burn should look like and of course Having said that, there's only a few people out there that are probably watching the movie that'll be like, oh, that's not the way it should look. And most of the people are going to be like, you know, it, it will be able to go with it. It's, it's, it's the same thing when you watch certain things on makeup from the movies. You'll be like, oh, I, they did it that way or this way. Maybe they could have done this or that. You know, you're, never, you're always are thinking about it in a professional sense. It's, it's just like yeah. when I see CPR portrayed in the movie and I'm just looking at it thinking, oh, that is not realistic. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I, I definitely feel that way because there's, there's a lot that goes into it. You have to like take a step back, look at how you are, how you, how you appear in a movie. Remember what you've seen in film or in an image. Like, like I said, I mean, I watched that, uh, Crystal Werewolf and like, hmm, I love how looking at that has made me take a step back and look at my complexion and other complexions to seeing that there's layers to things. And I thought that that film was a great example to make make that reinstate that in my imagination. Um, because when you see layers of color, layers of details and, and different atmospheres and 
and imagery on like the hands, the face, uh, whether whatever the detail is, if it's a trauma, especially if it's a realistic thing. I mean, there's there's just so much to learn from with those things. Now you're not always behind the camera. There are a couple times you got in front of the camera. <laughs> yeah, there were a few times that I have. Yes. <laughs> you were in Kill Giggles. Um, you were played Juanita. Oh yeah, that's right. I did that one time. <laughs> yeah, that was. Um, what was that like? That, you know, that was that was different because um, it was a while since I have worked on a set. And to be honest, um, it's been a while since I have too because everything that I've been doing lately is been focusing on the writing aspect, screenwriting mostly right now. But being you know, when you step into a project and then you're being told like, oh, I want to see you as this character. Can you uh, do this on set? Like, whoa, you know, what a compliment that you want me to do this. But um, yeah, sure. Why not? And but when I when I was doing the kill giggles thing, it was cool because um, it's it was a very small thing, but I appreciated it because hearing the reason why to bring that character in, it was a personal thing for the director and he said it reminded him of someone that he knew when he was younger and bringing up her background and her coming from a Latin, uh, a Latina woman or something. And I thought, okay, well that means a lot. You know, you, you want to see someone like do something in representation. And I feel like, I feel like that matters to whoever wants to bring that to life. Um, I've had a complex of, those identities a little bit, but, um, it's, it's not, uh, a bad thing. You know, it's just, uh, it, it's funny because people will often look at my last name and like, Hey, your last name's Italian. Like, well, maybe there are some people that are Italian, but I have, um, people from my dad's side of the family in Mexico that are uh, indigenous Mexicans. So, um, it's, it's a different way of pronouncing things. It, it just depends on, how you see yourself and how the world sees yourself are, are different things. And, and how do you want to represent yourself? So I think it was just a nice way of having someone reach out saying that they liked seeing and bringing some representation in their film. So it was nice. And, and speaking of the way you see yourself and the way the world sees yourself, I think that's a good segue into a couple of stills I saw on your web that you had put up where you were showing um, the way a makeup of what it feels like to have fibromyalgia. I'm, I'm the name butcher. Help me out. <laughs> fibromyalgia. It's yes. a chronic illness. It's um, dealing with chronic pain and um, different symptoms that come with, I guess I should say disabilities because now our disabilities are visible. And when it comes to having fibromyalgia, Long ago, well, as long ago to me, when I did that makeup, it was Fibromyalgia Awareness Month, and that's in May. And lupus um, is shared with that month as well. And I thought, okay, I'm not the only one I know with this illness. I know a few people, and it affects them differently. So I'm going to share how it affects me. Sometimes I feel sore and achy. I feel like I have feels like how you feel when you're bruised. I've had people ask me, well, how does it feel sometimes? Like, eh. to you, it might feel like a cold. 
you might feel like you were beat up or, or something. It just depends on the day, depends on the weather, depends on your diet. It's not a monolith or not. Everyone's different with how this affects you. And I did that makeup to show, so this is how it feels, you know, bruised. It looks painful. But on the other side of my face, it looks normal. I look normal to you, but on the inside, this is how I'm feeling. This is how other people are feeling. So that was my representation in that makeup. And it's a very powerful makeup because I feel like a lot of people that don't have it, like myself, you know, we hear people saying it, but you don't have a visual. And it helps to get that visual representation and which goes back to like movies and stills and your artwork and everything. When you're able to get that visual, um, it has that extra sense in, and then you're able to put that in your brain and then you start to unlock it. You're like, Oh, now I get an idea of what she is going through. And as you said, everybody's a little different. So just because you know, you have it that way, somebody else could be different and somebody else could be different and so on. But it is nice to be able to get an idea, um, a perspective of what people are going through to have that problem. Yeah, I, I appreciate that because there's a lot of nuance and intersectionality when it comes to um, disabilities uh, and uh, these things of trying to explain how you feel to other people so they can have an idea of how they can handle their loved ones or friends that, not say handle, but you know try to understand um, from a different point of view uh, when it comes to these advantages and disadvantages. Um, there's just a lot, there's a lot that needs to be said and there's still a lot of work that needs to be done for people to understand those that have those disabilities and different um, health issues. Like I, I've learned recently, it's Disability Awareness Month, Disability Pride. I didn't know this was a thing. I just knew there was Fibromyalgia Awareness Month and Lupus Awareness, which is May, but July, I mean, it's there's so much that still needs to be said and, and learned and unlearned on how people um, approach people with, with illnesses and disease and whatever uh, health issues people have. Um, when I was growing up, I was raised basically in two households you know there was the household mm -hmm. i was born in you know and when i was growing up in baltimore after we moved from pennsylvania and we had my neighbors the Masonis. and um uh, so when i'd come home from school because i was like six years old out into whatever my both my parents worked miss char would take care of me i would go over to her house and her youngest child there gina was there and back in the day that we she has what we would call back then and it mental retardation you know she's mentally challenged and, and oh. this is before things uh, people there was a very big stigma still back then so she was not getting the educational benefits that she could have gotten and and in theory she might be better off today if that would happen then but you can't go back in the past but i come home and i basically her and i were around the same age so you know for for most of my life growing up there was Gina and it was, I always referred to her as Gina, you know, and Gina had, you know, certain issues, but you know, she did rudimentary sign language, which I also learned and, um, and that kind of stuff. And it was just, you know, that was just the way it was. You don't think anything of it. And, and there's other things there. And I think that's the thing is people just have to realize these things go on and it's just, it's doesn't mean that person is different. It's just, mm -hmm. they have an issue that you, that you don't have, but just like you have issues that they don't have. Yeah, and if someone can take the time to learn and listen 
in a certain way and, and have what you said you, with the sign language or that kind of communication. And the way people communicate is so different. Like the way I communicate is through art. And that's why it was easy. Well, not easy, but it was easier. It's never easy to express yourself in some forms. It's emotional. That was emotional for me. That's vulnerability. And to be vulnerable and to communicate, whether it's through art or, you know, a certain form of language, art is a form of language to me. And that's, it's powerful when you can get someone on your level to, to see and try to get that message. And I definitely agree with you. Art is a form of language because if you look at hieroglyphics, you know, what is hieroglyphics but art made into language or a combination of the two and ent- always intertwined, you know? Mm-hmm. So yes, definitely. And and then you look at some languages, the, the way it, or, or you have somebody with great handwriting skills. It, it is artwork when they just write whatever and whatever language they're in, you're just looking at it. It's, it's just like beautifully written and you're just like, Oh, so I think they're always intertwined of how to get ideas. Definitely. So what do you have coming up? What's, what's on the plate for you now, Whitney? You, you said you're doing some script writing. Yes, I'm screenwriting right now. Um, I'm under contract. There's not a whole lot I can really describe as to what the stories are, but I can go ahead and say I have given a little bit of a slice of me in some of these conversations we've already had. Um, some um, when it when it comes to disabilities, when it comes to culture, there's there's some things that may be mentioned in, in some of these stories that I'm I'm working on. Um, there's uh, I, I feel like when it comes to going back to things that I'm passionate about and people that I talk to in the classic era, we talk about the films that we we love or what we're going to watch to educate our children. That's something that I always look forward to is if someone is interested in listening to our podcast, the Bruce and Magazine with Becky before Glasgow, that's something that I'm, we're always working on. That's something that's a constant coming up. So that's something to look out for if anyone's interested in that. And so as well, I mentioned my YouTube channel. If people are interested in folklore, cryptids, morals of stories and things like that. And I'm passionate about um, talking about fibromyalgia, passionate talking about Mexican and indigenous cultures, because all of that is part of me. So if anyone's interested in any of those things, they could check out my pages, my socials. I can be found on um, Instagram, on YouTube, uh, Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) I have a link tree. That links everything there. <laughs> she's, she's basically everywhere. And for listeners, um, the decades of horror, the classic era, and they also do the seventies and the eighties, but Whitney's not really on those ever. So often I think she might guest host on an episode in those, in those um, other, on their other podcast thing, but pretty much almost always she's on the classic era on occasion. One host might miss for an episode or two because of scheduling, you know, things come in where they can't always be there. I've been listening to that show since the first episode and um, it's a really mm-hmm. good one. You know, you really get into the meat, the, the, the meat and potatoes of the movies and has usually four different perspectives coming in on it um, between you and Daphne and um, yes. Jeff and oh my God, Chad. I was blanking on Chad. Uh, you know, <laughs> I feel sorry for him now, but you know, and Chad, 
going in on it. And it's like, it's interesting because you and Chad are both artists in the background. Mm-hmm. Is, is, is also an artist, but in the wardrobe sense and, and, and costuming. Yeah. And Jeff is the, um, the glue, like the, like the, um, the, the father presence that holds all the, yes. all, the all the people together. <laughs> he really is. I love them all. And then Joseph from a distance, um, he, he'll guest here and there. He just hasn't been able to be part of us in a while. We, we miss him terribly. But um, that life happens and you, you have to, you know, do your work, do your family thing. And Joseph has also been extremely uh, fun to talk to when it comes to, like, classics. And especially, he, he loves Godzilla, loves Kaiju and all of that good stuff. So, yeah, so get, there's my love for Joseph Perry, too. <laughs> And for listeners, one thing she didn't mention that's upcoming for her is she's going to be guest hosting with Daphne from the classic Cars Club, um, the, de- the classic era, um, the decades of horror, um, with Alistair and I on Hammerama for an upcoming episode. And if I remember correctly, the two of you picked, because we rolled ahead of time, because people know we rolled a die to decide what genre or what in, in Hammerama, what part of hammer armor and we hit the seventies and the two of you picked the vampire lovers, if I'm correct. Right. Yes, we did. I'm excited about that. Very much so. <laughs> so if you want to hear more about, you know, Whitney, you know, talking about movies again, the best place to go to is the decades of heart, the classic era, but she'll be in an upcoming Hammerama episode with one of her co-hosts. So you'll get a good sense of what they're both like. If you haven't listened to their show yet, and I want to thank you for doing what you're doing because it's always fascinated with the people that put the effects together in the movies of the makeup that we always see for precious seconds, sometimes longer, sometimes they're there for minutes. But when you're talking, if it's a full feature length movie of an hour and a half, it's, it's still a small percentage, but that's what people usually go home remembering a lot of times when mm-hmm. watching a horror film is like, man, that was just this, or you see that, you know, it, some people really go for the blood splatter and, and the graphic nature. And, and, and that's you, you bring that in you, with your artistry. <laughs> well, thank you. Yes. I love when people want to, you know, hear about the, the artistic um, sides of things, especially when it comes to makeup. I, and I love hearing different perspectives like, okay, so this is how I saw it when I tried to create this, this effect, but how did it make you feel? How did you see it? So um, it, it's it's always cool to hear and see different uh, perspectives um, when it comes to art forms. And um, I'm such a, I'm very passionate about it. And I love when people are passionate about it too. Well, thank you for joining for this episode. And I'm looking forward to talking with you when we did the Hammerama episode with Alistair. I'm looking forward to talking to you guys too. Thank you so much. I hope everybody enjoyed the interview. And um, just as always, you can leave us feedback at diecastmoviepodcast at gmail.com or leave us a message on our Facebook page. Uh, Next episode is going to be an interview with Jennifer Savage, who's going to be appearing at the Mid-Atlantic Nostalgia Convention in a couple of weeks on um, September 15th for the 17th of 2022 in Hunt Valley, Maryland. And again, you can... Listen to the preview now with the episode I did with Martin Grahams, which was just a couple episodes ago. Otherwise, we're going to listen to a promo for the Hammerama podcast that we do in part of DieCast. And I hope everybody has a great day and hope you join us next episode. And as always, thanks for listening.
I'm Al from New Zealand. And I'm Stephen from Maryland, USA. We are Hemorama. Welcome to our new podcast, Enter Freely. And of your own will. Part of the multi-award-nominated Diecast Movie Podcast, Hammerama is a wide look at the world of hammer horror from either side of the globe. Each month, we will throw a die to decide which category from the film vault of Hammer we are going to discuss. The Dracula, Frankenstein, or Mummy Cycles, science fiction, prehistory, or the experimental 1970s. We will cast our international eyes across, then and now, reviews of the movie. Its place in the Hammerverse. Our encounters with the stars. A film poster critique. And unusual associated merchandise. So join us for our bite-sized discussion of Hammer's gory glories, stitched together from both ends of the earth. Hammerama is a proud part of the Diecast Movie Podcast.